everyone. This is JJ Outlaw, better known as the Gourmet Goober. You can catch me on Twitter. That's the best way to reach me at any time at JJ Outlaw. You can also listen or not listen. <laughs> well, sometimes listen. I sometimes do videos and stuff. But you can also catch me on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. And as always, I'm here hosting the Gourmet Goober podcast with my BFF, my hubby, that dude. I've run out of titles to describe you. <laughs> but I'm here with Big Daddy, a.k.a. T-Outlaw. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I am T-Outlaw. Let me reintroduce myself. My name is... <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at T-Outlaw, T-O-U-T-L-A-W, and on Instagram at T-Outlaw Josie Wells, like the movie. And let's keep it popping. <laughs> well, great. Just so you know, because sometimes I get asked, are you guys on Facebook? And I'll be very honest. We do have a Facebook page. I'm not um, as aggressively working on that page because, one, I'm really not a fan for, of Facebook for a multitude of reasons. Um, but that said, you can catch us at the Gourmet Goober blog on Facebook if you actually wanted to catch the Gourmet Goober blog. Um, which has old recipes, press, um, past press events that we have done, um, and all around good stuff like new episodes of our podcast, you can go to thegourmetgoober.com. And then finally, you can check out, um, you know, us anytime as far as, you know, dropping a line, sending an email at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. Now, for those of you who listen to our podcast regularly, you notice that we normally keep to a bi-weekly schedule. But last week, we didn't have a chance to drop our weekly, our bi-weekly podcast, if you will. Because as we we're normally old. Do. Yes. <laughs> we old people. <laughs> you have to be sure to throw that in there, huh? <laughs> yes. Because we lead uh, very succinct, regimented lives. Uh, it does uh, take us time to get to the mic, and unfortunately, last week we had uh, obligations that we needed to handle, so thus we were not able to record. Yeah, we between our work schedules and um, outside obligations um, that we had, by the time that we got to our normal recording time, we were completely spent. Like we were out. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, unfortunately we just decided to chalk it up as needing to take that time for self-care. So we thank everybody for giving us that space and grace in order to do that. Yeah. We had to run away from the tax man and, you know, <laughs> we didn't run away from the tax man. Well, you know, we had to put things in like, you know, our, our, our cat's names <laughs> just to make sure that no one was coming after us one and two <laughs> because of the long travel, uh, commutes. Back and forth. Uh, it did take time because, hell, it does take a long time to walk around the bean to be able to get from one place to another. That bean is really big. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. Um, and if those of you living outside the Chicago are wondering what he's talking about, there is a very famous statue. Um, and it's not called the bean. I think it's called, what, the cloud? The cloud. Great. It's I'm called sure the Cloud Gate, actually. Yes, it's the called cloud the Cloud Gate. Gate. Um, Does anyone really ever reference it as the Cloud Gate? Oh, not if you're a Chicagoan, no. No. <laughs> if you're a Chicagoan, 
um, which I consider myself to be, um, it's called the bean and everyone calls it the bean. It's just kind of looks like this ginormous bean, you know, <laughs> um, it's really awesome. And I personally love it, but yeah, it's, it's the bean. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just the bean. And while we're at it, are you really Chicagoan? Cause you know, like if you ask like real Chicagoans, they may not take it as well, you know, so you might as well just go ahead and just label yourself a region rat. No, no, no. You know what? You are a regionite. I am a Chicagoan, damn it. <laughs> you could, you know where you're from. <laughs> no, this is not like a Gary versus Miller thing. <laughs> no, this is not it that. It's not that. <laughs> but, okay, here's, here's the deal for those of you who do not live in the area. So technically... We live in Northwest Indiana, which is affectionately known as... The region. And why? Because it's the region outside of the Chicago area. Even though we are Chicago land, yes. the Chicago winds get all in their feelings. <laughs> and they're like, if you are not from the city, city of limits, Chicago, yes. you are not a Chicagoan. But here's the thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was born and raised in Indianapolis, and I'm very open about that. I've talked about that at previous episodes of the podcast. But Indiana as a whole and Northwest Indiana are like two separate areas. Countries. <laughs> it literally is like two separate states. So much so that when you live in Northwest Indiana, and where, where, do, you, where do you say the guidelines are in Northwest Indiana? It's like from what? The furthest, it's like East Chicago, Hammond, Dyer. Whiting. Whiting. You know, you have the region uh, starting kind of from the border, which is like Munster, Whiting, Hammond, East Chicago. As you sweep in through the Merrillville, the Sherrillville's, as you will, into like, you know, my, my part GI. Um, then you have like a little subsection, which is in Porter County. But pretty much that's your space of the region. And you have your, you know, it's basically Lake and Porter County and maybe like little parts here and there. But basically that's the region. And then there's everywhere Everything else. else. <laughs> <laughs> so we are so ingrained in Chicago culture. First of all, all the media we consume. I mean, there are two local newspapers. Um, and we still read newspapers in our house. We're old school like that. So, like, mm. the Times of Northwest Indiana and then the Post-Tribune. So, there are two local newspapers. Pr pretty much everything we consume from, like, the radio stations to the television statements and everything, it's all Chicago. So much so that I often forget that I live in Indiana. So, I'll be talking to my dad, and my dad will say something that the governor of Indiana is going. I'm like, oh, my God, that is crazy as hell. And daddy will be like, you live here, you stupid one. Well, he didn't call me stupid, but he's like, you live here, you doof. <laughs> it affects you too. And I'm like, oh yeah. Because seriously, I mean, it's in a different time zone than the rest of the state. It's way less conservative than the rest of the state. It literally is Chicago. So when you hear about people saying Chicago land, it's actually including part of Northwest Indiana and Wisconsin and actually part of Wisconsin too. So I living in, okay, we've been here for about 15 years since we've been married. Um, 
we previously lived in the Chicago suburbs and then we've moved here some time ago. I consider myself a Chicagoan. I tell people all the time that I live on the south, south side of Chicago. So, yes, I am a Chicagoan. It counts. <laughs> region I says no, but no, I'll no, let no. You have it, it counts. Mm. I mean, the Regionites is what they uh, uh, affectionately call ourselves. In fact, the correct term is a region rat, if you want to be technical. That's right. We are region rats. But I prefer to think of myself as a Chicagoan. I love the city. I feel connected with the city. Whenever I'm in the city, I just feel like I'm home. So I'm a Chicagoan. I just live on the south-south side of it. That's so cute. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. You can be that way. They're region rats. I like to think of myself as bougie. I'm a region rodent. <laughs> Why are you called region rats since you grew up around here? Why is it that people call themselves that? I don't know. People just say region rat. We just kind of, you know, let it hang. I mean, I'm sure we you know we can call ourselves like, you know, region Rakuten or, you know, <laughs> you know, region realm nice people, you know. Region round ballers or something. It was just a name that stuck. So all you need to know is we live in Chicagoland. And having grown up in the other part of Indiana, they really hate this section of the region. The more, there's more than corn in Indiana. <laughs> there's Klansmen. <laughs> See, I wasn't going to say it. See, I was just... <laughs> there is more than corn in Indiana. You know, there's race cars. But no, Jennifer's like, no, there's... <laughs> We got all kind of factions of bad people. Dude, and, and I, I grew up around outside of Martinsville, okay? There are Klansville. Okay? Yeah. Look, I'm a Midwestern girl through and through, but I'm not blind to the fact that being black in the Midwest doesn't exclude you from certain things. So now that we've scared a certain segment of our audience going really, really regional <laughs> with our conversation, how was your week? <laughs> Well, now that I've dispelled where I'm from, no. Um, for the most part, my week was positive. I've had good check-ins with people. I got paid. <laughs> Friday night. Party jumping. No, uh, now that I've had time to recover and avoid the tax man, I feel like I have had a good week. And I'm just, just glad to be here. That guy's giving me another day, and I'm just blessed. Well, my week, well, actually, I guess we should probably cover more than the week, because we've been gone for a little bit. Um, so stuff that has happened since we have last been on the podcast. Um, first of all, I have just been so busy with this project at work, so much so that I literally sat up in bed one day in the last couple of weeks. And I was just like, I think I should just like assume another identity and just leave. <laughs> I didn't, of course, right. <laughs> but I did think it. And I had a little bit of a meltdown and big daddy was really awesome about that. Um, outside of the stress of that and completing a grant um, proposal and things like that. Um, I also had a really great opportunity to participate in a social media campaign. So some of you who follow me on Twitter and on Instagram and may even have seen the link on our YouTube channel as well. I forgot to tell people. Um, Plum Good Media, who is our distributor, um, 
has a YouTube channel, and now you can find all of our podcasts on that channel. Um, but we also have the link to the video that I did. It's for an organization called The Family Dinner Project. And if you're not familiar with The Family Dinner Project, they are actually a really cool nonprofit organization. What they focus on is that it's a growing movement um, that focuses on food and conversation and things that matter, and it's built around um, encouraging people to come together at dinner more and families. And so the project was they asked certain um, social media influencers, and I'm amused and I'm considered one because <laughs> I'm so not. But I was asked to, um, to talk about the question when family dinners come to mind, what comes to mind for me? And I shared the story of the times that I learned how to cook through my dad. Um, my daddy was the one who taught me how to cook. And it was always like an event, you know. So it wasn't just us in the kitchen. He put on some Motown, maybe some Parliament. If it was Sunday morning, we'd watch Star Trek together. Um, but we would always like sing and dance. And during the middle of all of that, he taught me how to cook and how to measure and read recipes and all of that good stuff. And really, it instilled in me a lifelong love of cooking that lasts to this very day. So I was really proud to take part in the conversation um, and encourage people to share some of their own stories. So again, shout out to the Family Dinner Project um, in order, you know, for them asking me to be a part of it. It was really a great thing. And for those of you who want to share, it's still not too late. You can go online um, on Twitter, on Instagram, record your own video, make it less than like a minute. Um, feel free to tag me in the video. I'd love to see your responses. And then use um, hashtag eat, um, what was it? Eat, laugh, talk book in order to um, share with them your thoughts as well. Repeat that again? I believe the hashtag, and let me look it up. It's actually Eat, Laugh, Talk Book. And what it is, is they actually have a new book that they release called Eat, Laugh, and Talk, the family um, dinner playbook. And it's actually a really cool book. I had a chance to look at some of the advances online um, as part of the project, and it has a lot of great stories and recipes. And the whole idea is to encourage people to... Um, take meal time as a chance to really connect with your family members. And I'm very fortunate that, you know, growing up meal times was always that for me. And I know that was something similar that you had experience with as well. No, not really. No, I've seen you eat with your family members. It's not like you guys were like sitting in separate rooms. No, we weren't sitting in separate <laughs> rooms when none of us were talking to each other. We sat there and ate our cereal in silence. You're dad always talked to me when I had dinner with them. Because you talked to them. <laughs> so it was my fault. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it wasn't your fault. You engaged them in conversations. I, however, I sat there in silence eating my cereal. I'm good. <laughs> well, I love dinner and conversations. It's something that we do now as a couple. So, again, thank you Family Dinner Project for allowing me to be a part of that very important conversation. Um, another cool thing that we had a chance to do um, in the time that we were away was a good friend of mine and co-worker, he um, got a, ch a chance to perform on Second City Stage. Um, so we saw him perform last Saturday. And you may have seen me um, 
post some things about it on Instagram and our Instagram stories. Um, I think I'll actually create it like a little, um, I forget the name of it, but basically you can like relive stories and keep it on your Instagram page so people can look at any time. Because we got this really badass picture of this mural that was in outside of the, the Mott Theater in Chicago. But um, he um, is a part of a group that performs this police um, procedural improv um, thing called McGarnacle. You wouldn't think that'd be funny, but it was actually kind of entertaining. Yeah, it was really, really cool. So we got the chance to see three improv groups. Um, there was a gentleman, and I forget his name, and I'll try to look it up and put in the show notes, um, where he did this like musical comedy. It's kind of similar um, to what Andy Kaufman would do back in the day, but he would just make up satire with music. Um, actually, now I think about it, it's probably close to what Victoria Jackson did um, prior to her coming on SNL, but I don't want to uplift Victoria Jackson because she is really a horrible person, like bigoty person. So scratch looking at Victoria Jackson work, but the same idea where he comes up with musical parodies um, is actually really brilliant. Maybe closer to Randy um, Rainbow. Um, but there is this group called the Little Lumps. They were the opening improv back. And then it closed with um, Lewis and McGarnacle. So shout out to Lewis and everyone at McGarnacle Presents. Um, it's a great honor to be able to, you know, perform on Second City stage because it's so competitive to get on. Yes. And even at um, the level that he was at. So, again, I'm just really, really psyched that he had the opportunity to do that. And he personally invited us to go. So it was a good time. Although, going back to what you said before about being old, oh, my God. <laughs> the show started at 10 o'clock. <laughs> and we were like, wait, do we go out in Chicago that late? Have we done this before? We didn't come home to almost two, right? Correct. <laughs> we were worn the hell out. <laughs> and it was funny because we were talking. I was like, we used to do this all the time because we've known each other since college, you guys. Seriously, we've known each other since we were 18 and 19 years old. Okay. Obviously, we're older than that now. <laughs> but the whole idea was, we used to close down clubs when we were in college together. And that was way past two. And now we're just like, dude, let's, let's just go to bed. <laughs> no, I get that. <laughs> and for all you ladies out there. No, I, I admit I work a uh, second shift. And for those who want to make fun of me, you know that I do work pretty late into the evening, uh, into the beginning of the morning. But the thing is, usually by the time I'm done, I'm ready to come home and go to sleep. So this was just a, another example of, you know, pretty much nothing good goes on after midnight. And sometimes you need to just take your ass home. No, I was spent. And it was funny because we were getting in the car, right? And I'm like, we used to close out the clubs. And then you pointed out, Jennifer, we haven't been in the club this decade. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> so, yeah, no. I, now we're old. <laughs> okay. But I don't look old. That's a good thing. Oh, you're saying black don't crack. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> 
So <clears throat> the last thing that actually happened this week, and we've talked about it on previous podcasts. Okay, I admit, I am not the person for reality show competitions. And part of the reason why is I normally have no damn patience. Okay, I'm the person who likes Jeopardy because once they ask you the question, you got 30, 30 seconds to answer. You or have a little bit less than 30 seconds to answer on Jeopardy. Or like Cash Cab, where you have like unlimited time in order to answer. As opposed to like, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? And Big Daddy will laugh because he knows that's like the bane of my existence. Because all these people are like stalling and they're like, yeah, my nephew and my uncle's niece likes the color purple, which correlates with the number two. And I'm like, damn it, just get the freaking answer. <laughs> so I normally don't have patience for these type of things. That said, I am obsessed with The Mass Singer. Okay. And I've talked about this on previous episode of the podcast before. And I think part of the reason is that this season, I have been really good at guessing who the people are. So that said, for those of you who have not seen this week's episode of the mass season or the, on the mass singer, rather, mm -hmm. or who are several seasons behind, this is a giant spoiler alert. Okay. A giant spoiler <laughs> alert. This is time for you to step away from the mic and know that we did not intentionally want to spoil it for you. Yeah, so we're going to talk all the hell about this because it's affected my week. <laughs> and that said, I'll put in the show notes the time in which you guys can listen in and rejoin, okay? Mm -hmm. So assume that everyone has, has dipped out, right? Dude, this week in a mass Singer, oh my God. So I have been really good at picking people out this season. Like the skeleton, as soon as I heard him sing, I was like, Oh, that's what's his name from David Letterman, right? Paul Schaefer. Yeah, that was Paul Schaefer. Because again, going to Ball State and everything is about David Letterman and growing up and loving the show. And he's a Hoosier native and we're so proud of him. I knew Paul Sch that was Paul Schaefer right away because I mm -hmm. recognize his voice. Um, The person that I was most sure of was the flower. And the flower was unmasked this week. And again... First of all, I ha I'm in my feelings. Yes. You've been in your feelings about this entire season. Yes. I have just been in my feelings because this person, who the hell beats this person in the singing competition? Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. <laughs> I was kind of shocked. But then the other thing was that when they finally unmask, I was just like, oh, the host knew the entire time. So, okay, so just to set the scene, what day was it? It was like Wednesday or Thursday morning? We'll go with that, Thursday morning. So, so Big Daddy um, caught a ride home from work, because he usually takes the train in, but he caught a ride home from work for the colleague. We're just going to say I was dead asleep. No, no, you were not yet asleep yet. You, like, literally walked in the door, and I was like, okay, you have to see this now. No. No, let's reset the scene. <laughs> At one point, I was dead asleep, <laughs> completely knocked out to the world one morning. And upon one occasion, this one over here wakes me out of my slumber. 
to ask me the question, Who is I this or is... is this not said person? We could go ahead and say it because we're given spoiler alert. Patty LaBelle. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's when I woke you up because literally it was bugging me so much. The guesses. I was like, bitch, you know, that's Patty LaBelle. <laughs> so that's when I woke you up and I was like, okay, I know you're asleep, but I need you to listen to this. And you looked at me like I am out of my mind. I'm like, no, no, no. No, look. And I rewinded and I played the segment. And if you've never seen The Mass Singer, what it is, it's like this insane singing competition where people are dressed in these crazy ass outfits, right? Head to toe. Yes. Gloves, everything. Whole nine yards. And then they go out and they perform. But before they perform, they have this taped segment where they talk about themselves and they have hints. And it was driving me nuts because I grew up listening to Patti LaBelle. And so much so that in my house growing up, we never, I mean, just to call her Patti LaBelle right now, it feels weird. It's Miss Patti LaBelle. Because in my house, my mom is from the South. You respect someone, you call them Miss. So there are certain people like Miss Aretha, Miss Patty, all of these people, they were always called Miss blah, blah, blah. Yeah, in my house, it was Miss Patty and Miss Ross. Miss <laughs> Ross the boss. <laughs> well, everyone called her Miss Ross. I mean, that's Diana Ross. She insists on it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Diana Ross's kids call her Miss Ross. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> but I did wake you up from a cold-ass sleep. Because I was just like, okay, I can't Cold take ass, this. dead ass sleep. I can't take it anymore. And I needed someone else to be in it. And so at first you were just like, Jennifer, what are you doing? Are you insane? I was asleep. And then you watched it and then you're like, yeah, that, that is Pat of the Bell. And I was like, yes. Why go to see a competition if people know who you are, right? Because it's so obvious. All the hints, all the hints. So this week they finally amassed the flower and you had come home because you weren't there. And once I saw that she was unmasked, because I came home late, I didn't have a chance to watch it. I had fallen asleep on the couch basically. But when I woke up and saw, and I was like, oh my God, you walked in the door. I'm like, drop everything. They've unmasked the flower. And you looked at me like, Again, you were insane. No, no, no. They amassed it. So I rewound. So we saw the performance. At one point, she like hits this high note that only she can. And you stopped and walked out the room. You're like, damn it. It is her. <laughs> yeah, because one of the, she even tenets, yeah, one of the tenets <laughs> of the mass Singer is that from time to time, if you are um have a distinctive voice or a distinctive style that you try to mask it or try to alter because they do give you uh voice altering uh materials but she could hide her voice yeah there are just certain times when people when they sing there's just no way that you can undistinguish that is distinctively her voice her mannerisms Pretty much we knew from that moment it was Miss LaBelle and the fluttering of the hands and oh, yeah. the vocal pattern. When she did like her little fluttering that she does. Yeah, I was waiting for the flowers to kick off her <laughs> shoes and just start screaming. At one point she said boo-boo to, the, to yeah. Nick Cannon. And I'm like, 
why don't you just walk out with a sign that says, hi, I'm Patty LaBelle. So here's the thing. So three of the four judges guess it was Patty. The only one didn't was Ken John, and I think Ken John knew it was Patty, but he had a really popular joke where he kept guessing it was Bjork, and he just stuck with it every week. But here's the funny thing, and I didn't think about this, because remember, the way the show is set up, nobody is supposed to know who this person is. Like, literally, they come and pick you up at your house, and you're in that outfit, right? Mm-hmm. And then you come into the stage... And at the entire time, you're in this outfit. And from what I understand, you're in silence until they're ready to come get you. So it's set up that even the host, Nick Cannon, is not supposed to know. Apparently, Patty LaBelle is his children's godmother. <laughs> so he said, the second I saw you walk, I knew it was you. And it's true, because I've also mentioned on the show, on a previous podcast, she has a very specific way she moves. Like, I've, I've been watching Patty since I was a child. So even before she sang a single note, she walked outside dressed like this flower. And I was like, damn it, that's Patty LaBelle. <laughs> yeah, it was almost to the point where even though she was masked as a flower, I sincerely was like, okay, now that Jennifer has brought this to my attention <laughs> and I'm trying not to be obsessed by it, I just wanted her to kind of revert back to her uh, different world days where I just wanted her to like, you know, just, you know, hand me a prune cobble and call me chipmunk. Because, <laughs> you know, there's nothing good in the world except for like, you know, when Patty LaBelle calls you chipmunk. That is your goal in life. Yes, it is. <laughs> so shout out to Patty for your excellent performance on The Mass Singer. I'm so sorry you didn't win. Um, that said, shout out to Nick Cannon for keeping his mouth shut. Because you know he's probably interacted with Patty LaBelle a lot of times in between the time that she first started on the show and now. And the fact that he couldn't say anything, even though he knew it was her, shout out to him, because that took some doing. Yeah, but once again, like the ramp says, so if you are unmasked and you are unmasked as Patty LaBelle, um, what exactly does the winner get for this? Because you know, you just beat Payla Bell in the competition, so thus, you know, you have to be exceptional to be this. I didn't really watch last season. I mean, I know last season T-Pain won, spoiler alert, but okay, we gave a spoiler alert anyway, so you should have known. Well, you know, he has like, you know, auto-tune, so that saves him. I know Honestly, this is without auto-tune. But... Yeah, and I've heard him sing without auto-tune before. In fact, if you guys have not heard him sing without auto-tune, there is a Tiny Desk concert that he put on. Um, for NPR, and you could probably find it on YouTube, but he performs without autotune, and he has an amazing voice. So I can almost see that because he's so synonymous with the other way of singing, but like, Patty, come on, you have to be like the biggest idiot to not catch on that with Patty LaBelle by our vocalization, because you, if you've lived past the 90s, you know what Patty LaBelle's voice sounds like. You just know. It was just screaming Patty LaBelle, and all the hints were. So. Yeah, but to beat Patty LaBelle in the singing competition, you have to be like, I don't know, Placido Domingo. I don't think so, though. Because honestly, I think the reason why she lost is she gave her own. I, I even forgot the song that she performed, but it's not a normal song uh, was for it Patty. A heart song? Yeah, it was Alone. It mm-hmm. was Hearts Alone. 
And the way she performed, it's perfect for Patty, but it wasn't the best vocalization. So I can understand how she didn't really um, hit it that week. But that said, if it was like a straight out singing competition, of course, Patty would blow anyone that's left away. But speaking of people who are left, there are a couple people that are still left. Um, in costume. In costume. And I think that I nailed down two of them. One of which we have also talked on the show. My obsession with the thingamajig character. The thingamajig character is Goes big- back to her non-root. I'm sorry, her non-Hoosier uh, roots. No, no, no. No, I'm sorry. My Hoosier roots. Yes. Okay, your Hoosier roots. I'm sorry. I'm the regionite was speaking. Yes. Yes. The thingamajig is Victor Oladipo, folks. She believes this. No, 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 no. I know he is Victor Oladipo. Just like I knew in my soul that was Patty LaBelle, I know in my soul that that's Victor Oladipo. And here's why. And you sure it's not Lamar Odom? No, it is not (laughs) Lamar Odom. First of all... You sure it's not Chris Weber? <laughs> I'm really sure it's not Chris Weber. <laughs> For all we know, it could be DeAndre <laughs> Jordan. Okay, I'm going to be silent now. We will not talk about DeAndre Jordan. We will not mention DeAndre Jordan on the show, but just know I am not a fan of DeAndre, not in the least. Yeah, but he knows we're going to get good chicken. You know what? We're okay, I'm going to be silent that. again. <laughs> Sitting in my corner. DeAndre Jordan did one of my teens wrong, and so he's dead to me forever. That's all I gotta say. Mm-hmm. But start out with Victor Oladipo. I'm sorry. The thing of a Jig's outfit. <laughs> if you look at the color in the outfit, the colors match up with the teams that he has been involved with. Um, even there's like one leg that's like yellow and blue, and that's a Pacer uniform, and he's just recently joined the Pacers. The whole character's outfit is the same color green that is the Orlando Magic's mascot, Stuff the Magic Dragon. And then there's a section of the outfit that matches up with his time, the team colors, with his time with the Oklahoma City Thunder. Then you look at some of the hints that he's given out. He's clearly a basketball player because he talks about running with the Bulls. He said his darkest moment is when he went to rehab, and he's actually in rehab right now. And when they asked him to talk about something that is of importance to him, he brought out a book of ASL. And the reason why that's significant is Victor Oladipo's sister is hearing impaired. So he used his sign language to commute with her, communicate with her. And then finally, finally, Victor Oladipo is a badass singer. In fact, you can go on YouTube right now and listen to all of his performances. He's been putting them out for years. Those of us who are Indiana Pacer fans have heard him sing. As soon as he opened his mouth, I knew that was him. So right now, we have a working bet. What was it? A dollar on the line? Yeah, it was a dollar. A dollar on the line. Thingamajig is Victor Oladipo. That is my next one. Hold on, I'm like, I'm pulling out this... (laughs) Pulling off this dollar. <laughs> I'm about to make this one dollar holla. Yeah, we'll see what happens. If it's Victor Cool, if it's not, I will possess another dollar. <laughs> and then the other person that I'm sure that's on the show is the Flamingo character. I think she's Ad- Adrian Bailon. I Adrian really do. Adrian Bailon? You said you think it's Adrian Bailon. 
I kind of was roped into saying it was Adrian Byline. I don't have no, a good like yes. I don't have a good I other roped option. you into it. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much just cow whipped me right into it. Now, Grant, I didn't have another choice or another person I thought it was, but I wasn't sure if it was Adrian Byline. But by default, I figured I was pistol whipped into Patty LaBelle. So thus, no, no. no. As soon as you heard her sing, you knew that was Patty. I was half asleep you when this came up. No, but I've showed you when you're not sleeping and you know it's Patty. Yeah, I knew it was Patty once you told me yes. In fact, the only person that was a surprise, there's two. Um, the Eagle was a surprise, um, and that was Dr. Drew. But the Dr. lady Yeah, the ladybug was a surprise, and she threw everybody off. And that was um Sharon Osborne's kid. What was her name? Kelly Osborne. Kelly Osborne. And here's why it was a surprise to me, because I actually have some of Kelly Osborne's music. Back um, in the yeah, early 2000s, you. she put out an album that unfortunately wasn't promoted called um, Sleeping in the Nothing. And there is a song on it called One Word that is actually really good. Okay. Um, so I've heard her sing before, but she's actually started speaking with a Southern accent on the show. And she kept it up, and so everyone was thrown off by the southern accent. Who they think it was, Kelly Clarkson or something? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, but, there were like two others that were like funny. Like we were, uh, we were kind of roped into thinking like one was not Sherry Shepard. Oh and yeah, the, Sherry Shepard. That did surprise me. Yeah, Sherry Shepard was one. The other one was uh, Raven Simone. Right. Yeah, that one was kind of. That was adorable. But it took us a while to kind of figure out it was Raven Simone, and they did have a good peg on her towards the end. But you know what? If Raven Simone is on the show and Adrian Vailana is on the show, that is actually really funny because, okay, geeks, spoiler alert, Adrian Vailana and Raven Simone actually performed together in this old television um, um, movie series called The Cheetah Girls. So I think it would be hysterical if they were both on the show and didn't know it. <laughs> or maybe they did and they couldn't say anything. Mm. Yeah, but um, I'm my next best guess is the thingamajig. So whenever that goes down, y'all, you heard it first. It's Victor Oladipo. So how many people are left on this show? You know, I don't know. I think, okay, there's... I think there's the dog. The dog. And and that was the one we couldn't decide if it was Jamie Foxx or Wayne Brady. Right. Although, now that I think about it, I think Wayne Brady, because... Everyone's saying it was Jamie Foxx. Well, here's here's the thing. Um, Wayne Brady is an excellent... He does really good in person and other people. Mm-hmm. So what's to say it wasn't Wayne Brady sounding like Jamie Foxx? Okay. Because he does it all the time. That is true. He's really good at making deals. So, um, the fox, um, the dog, the thingamajig, the leopard, which you said you thought the leopard was, um, Did Porter, Billy, Billy Porter? Porter. Yeah. And that is a really great guess. Mm. That would actually be really awesome if he was that. Once again, I'm, I'm, if she's not the biggest reality fan, I'm like the complete <laughs> to way past her. Like I am the most non-watching of reality programs there is. But yeah, the few times I've watched the show, yes, I've taken a few bets to myself. 
on who could be behind the mask, but I admit I am not the best, so don't take my word as the gospel. But take my word as the gospel. Is Victor Oladipo <laughs> is the damn thing of a chick? <laughs> no, yes, get back that to is this. true. <laughs> I'm just saying, at a certain point, if it is Victor, Mister <laughs> Oladipo, he needs to get back to his job. You know what? The only thing is, is it tape live or is it pre tape? Because Victor is coming off a of rehab soon. Mm-hmm. So eventually, we may know before it's too late. Yeah, I just heard yesterday he's uh, <laughs> he's practicing with his club. So thus, yeah, they he's hope to have him back again. Yeah, within a week or two, a couple weeks. It's actually really fun to read his responses in the Indianapolis paper because I still read the Indianapolis Star online. Um, it's kind of my way of connecting to my hometown, and it's so funny because, like. M- I, I talk to friends back home and they're just like, oh yeah, everyone is just going insane because they, they know it's him and he can't say anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Indianapolis is like a big little town. So it's Victor and we all know it's Victor. Victor, if you're listening, we know it's you, but we'll be cool until you're a mess, but it's you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I think we've exhausted the craziness that was, I guess more than, what was it? Three weeks since we been recording three weeks yeah okay so this has been a super size how's your week (laughs) so we're gonna take a quick break and when we return we will talk about our food and pop culture section that we affectionately call what's eating us in the meantime you're listening to the gourmet goober we'll be right back hello i'm karen and i'm emily And if you, like us, are slightly on the nerdy side and have an interest, fascination or musing for anything historical, then we have the podcast for you. Our podcast, A Nice Cup of History, takes a historical event, place or person and delves into the facts, fictions and myths surrounding it, all whilst enjoying a nice cuppa or sometimes something stronger. Each week, we finish with a special segment we call Ridiculous Deaths, which looks into the absolute bizarre ways some people have died or survived and what we can learn from them, such as why alcohol and sailing should never go hand in hand on a moonlit night and why bridges and butts don't mix. We are listened to globally, which blows our minds. So if you have any suggestions for topics for us to discuss, please let us know. So come join us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and pretty much anywhere you can get your podcasts from and let's let's get get historical. historical. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com backslash gourmet goober and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download the title free and start listening. It's that easy. Just go to audible.com slash gourmet goober to start today. Hey, Audible's content is amazing. It includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainment. You gotta check it out. It's amazing. So to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash gourmet goober. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash gourmet goober for your free audiobook. Hey everyone, we are back. This is JJ Outlaw. 
And I'm T. Outlaw. And we are here with the Gourmet Goober Podcast. And now we are part of the pop culture section that we affectionately call What's Eating Us? That's when we talk about the news of the week, um, some that's funny, some not so much, but things that we thought it was really cool that caught our attention. Yes, yeah, it's when we clown around with the <laughs> underground. So the one thing that is happening this week, um, this podcast normally records on the weekend before it drops. So this will be affectionately out on affectionately out. That didn't make any sense. This will be out on November 25th, the week of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So Thanksgiving is front and center, obviously, on our minds, as many other individuals are. And I know that every year Thanksgiving is kind of weird in our house. Um, only because of the fact that Big Daddy usually has to work on Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but it makes sense, right? Because the type of work that you do and the things that you cover and unfortunately. Well, every day is a day. So thus, you know, news has to get out. So. Yeah, the, the news doesn't take a break and sports doesn't take a break. And so. You'll be working on that. Um, so usually every year we um, try to do things for Thanksgiving as far as, you know, preparing dinner or having Thanksgiving like a day in advance so that we can truly be off together and you don't have to run to the train station suffering from tryptophan, <laughs> things like that. Um, this Thanksgiving is actually going to be a little different this year because I am not going to cook for the first time in like almost 15 years. Okay, maybe 15 years is sort of. Just say what? Sort of weird. I mean, there are some Thanksgiving we spent with our families and things like that, but generally when we're together, I cook. And this year I'm just so exhausted from like my commute and everything. I am actually going to be. Um, running around the bean. <laughs> not running around the bean. We're probably going to have like a non-traditional Thanksgiving. Um, so that I what, even... What are we doing? Are we getting some Chinese food or something? You know what? Actually, I thought... It, I, I really thought, but I was worried it was going to be too much for us. Okay. Um, I really thought that I was going to maybe go to Popeye's and order that... Chicken sandwich? No, not <laughs> the chicken sandwich. Like, I would take three chicken sandwiches for Thanksgiving to go. Ooh, don't tell me. No, you can get, like, a... There's more and more places now, like, fast food and other places that does Thanksgiving dinner for you. And, like, Popeye's famously has, like, a Cajun fried turkey that you can get. And you can get all the, like, extras with it, right? So you can get, you know, their red beans and rice, their famous dry-ass biscuits that we love so much. Wow. You can get all of that. And I was thinking about that um, and researching that as a possibility. So um, I know you you basically said you don't really care what I do because Thanksgiving has kind of always been weird for you because you've always worked mm -hmm. almost every Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. It's just another day to me. I work most almost every holiday with one exception. But, yeah, I have, I'm not trying to put any pressure on the goober to say, okay, I need to make this grandiose meal because tryptophan is a thing. But more importantly, we just want to have her have time to rest and relax. Yes. 
So I'm actually toying with the idea of making gumbo, although don't hold me to that. We're not going to get into another gumbo conversation again. (laughs) But this time of year, as people are talking about Thanksgiving, is that usually the time of year that around social media where people are sharing the sides that usually come with the Thanksgiving turkey um, that are traditional, that are just are inspiring and one by that i mean just awe-inspiringly bad <laughs> not bad meaning bad but mad meaning good but just, really is horribly bad just just awful okay and so big daddy and i we were actually looking and some things that are trending on social media mm-hmm. about um just some of the just side dishes that you prayed does not end up on your Thanksgiving table that nevertheless are part of the tradition. That once again, as I go into the voice, Karen, do not bring that whack ass (laughs) potato salad. Exactly. (laughs) Do not bring that potato salad to the, to the Thanksgiving table. So, um, I, I thought it would be kind of interesting to share some of the things that we have experienced on Thanksgiving tables, not necessarily our own traditional families. Thank goodness. But like places like, for example, I've, I've openly shared this story with you and a couple of my friends growing up in the Midwest, there are certain um, dishes in the Midwest. Okay. Um, Not on everyone's table in the Midwest, if you know what I mean, but there are some people that eat things that are just, weird uh, in my opinion down. that's weird everything from the root to <laughs> no no um the one in particular that's sort of like a midwestern tradition but i also found that they eat in the south too is something called ambrosia salad ambrosia salad and you've never heard of this apparently so i don't know if this is like an indianapolis thing or but i've certainly seen it down south again not on everyone's table and we'll just leave it at that but enough tables that make me question people's sense of taste. Okay. And if you've never heard of ambrosia salad, it is unique. So usually ambrosia salad, the way that I have had it in Indianapolis, is it's usually like canned fruit and normally it's like pears. I've seen it where it's like mixed um, fruit. Um, but most of the time it's like canned citrus fruit of some sort. And then they usually mix it with little mini marshmallows. They always have some type of shredded coconut. And then outside of that, they'll usually either A, mix it with Jello. Okay. And then they'll either add Cool Whip, which is what I've seen most often. But I've also seen versions of it that has sour cream mixed in instead of the Cool Whip. Mayonnaise. I'm out. And cottage cheese. Yep. Gone. Later. I don't know where this comes from. (laughs) But I remember one year I was with a friend and it was Let me guess that friend is not your friend anymore. Um, no. Okay. (laughs) But that's for another reason. (laughs) But I, I, I visited her the day after Thanksgiving and her, I was in high school and she was like, oh, look, you know, we have some leftover dinner and my mom makes the best thanksgiving dinner let's just have some like oh okay so we had the turkey we have the stuffing which i'm sorry i'm i'm not really down with stuffing i 
I, I don't understand cooking it inside the bird. That just seems kind of yucky to me, but okay, that's just me. Okay. But they had some stuffing. Um, they had like some type of green bean casserole because, again, growing up in Indianapolis, everybody eats green bean casserole. At I don't eat green bean casserole. Okay. Side note, green bean casserole is freaking delicious, okay? <laughs> I know I'm a weird person. I, I, I know that a lot of people listening like that is basic as hell, but I'm a Midwestern girl, okay? Like ranch dressing, green bean casserole is kind of a thing. But then she put out the ambrosia salad. And it was one of those things where you see something for the first time and you're not sure what it is. And then you like in, like dive into it with your spoon and then you smell it and you realize, oh, <laughs> that's like oranges and mayonnaise the hell wow but then they're looking at you and you feel like you have to eat it so you do and you feel kind of bad and it becomes that moment and what was it rapper's delight where you're like sitting down at the the table remember that line yes (laughs) they keep shoveling food on your plate and you just kind of like like kind of look at them and they're looking at you and you're like ugh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah but then you don't want to disappoint them so yeah, ambrosia salad grown up was like the moment of horror for me. Mm, and mm. you, not to be outdone, you told me about the sweet potatoes and the beets. Uh, yes, I once again I like to believe I hung around or had good Thanksgivings with people who liked me, who gave me great options. But on that infamous Black Friday, I've been to people's houses who had leftovers and I do remember very specifically one where they as opposed to having sweet potatoes I'm sorry as opposed to having mashed potatoes they had mashed sweet potatoes which is cool I'm alright with that Um, but in their sweet mashed potatoes as you will or mush uh, they included the ingredients of beets and raisins. And I like to say as a personal uh, personal service announcement, public, as you will. Public service announcement. As a public service announcement to the, <laughs> the world, do you really need to try to put raisins in everything? I'm confused about that. Yeah, let, let's just do that. Shout it out again for the people in the back. Please do not put raisins in everything. I, Those of you who know who you do that and you know you're guilty of it, don't do that. Yeah, I get it. I mean, like, every once in a while you want to, like, jazz up something. Yeah, if you throw bacon in something, okay, you shouldn't put bacon in everything. No, you can put them in a lot of things. But, yeah, don't, A, put raisins in everything and um, raisins and beets. And sweet potatoes don't go together in my head. That's, that's just me. That just sounds like extra. And extra in a bad way. <laughs> so the Business New Insider put out an article where they had seven unusual vintage Thanksgiving dishes that no one makes anymore. It's interesting that it comes from Business Insider. <laughs> So they said, while Thanksgiving dishes like mashed potatoes, Brussels sprouts, and mac and cheese are classics for a reason, others have gone out of style. And things like jello salads, desserts, and even leftover turkey creations have waned in popularity. So if you want to hear about some of the 
the worst ideas ever. Um, and I just chose this article because all week long I've been baffled that, like, making raisins a thing. Apparently a lot of people want to make may mayonnaise the thing for everything, and I don't get that. But what do you think are some of the most horrifying creations? The most horrifying creations? Yes. Anything where you're jacking up, taking jello, and just <laughs> making abysmal uh, creations from it. Gelatin is made for everything. Well, it's interesting you say that because number one on their list is turkey leftover jello. It is turkey a, leftover jello? Yes. It is a creation that calls for turkey, frozen vegetables, cream of celery soup, and ranch dressing mixed with jello. Mm. Mm, 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 the mm. dish was even promoted by jello itself. And just to give you an idea, gelatin became a popular foundation for many mills during the 30s after the Great Depression, due to the fact it was a good but inexpensive source of protein. Um, and they said nearly one-third of all cookbook recipes released in the 30s were all gelatin-based. Yum. <laughs> mm, mm. So if the leftover turkey doesn't get you, then your next choice would be Cranberry surprise. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Cranberry surprise. <laughs> surprise if you can get all the way through it. <laughs> so Hellman's Manny's recently released a compilation of vintage advertisements and recipes to celebrate its 100th year. This is actually something they own up to, which is shocking. If I were them, I would hide it. But it's a holiday side dish that, um, shall we say blends the tartness of cranberries with the creaminess of Hellman's real mayonnaise with an extra dollop of mayonnaise on top to provide that final distinctive flavor garnish. Mm. Doing a dollop of what the damn is this. <laughs> exactly. The dollop of what the fuck. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. What? Ambrosia salad is actually on the list, not shockingly enough. And so whoever wrote this, just so you know, ambrosia salad is still served in the Midwest. That's all I got to say. Jello salads are a thing as well. And jello salads were popular in the 50s and 60s. And it's a jello dish with radishes, scallions, and a few tablespoons of vinegar. Wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for a festive feast. Mm. Then you said this was in the 50s and 60s, right? Yep. This was when America was quote unquote great. <laughs> we won't go there, but yes. Uh -huh. Okay. America apparently was great, but not their sense of taste. No. In fact, just as a side note, there is a Twitter account that I follow sometimes. It's called 70s Dinner Party. And apparently, jello dishes were even popular in the 70s. And I know because I've seen quite a few of their tweets. And all they do is tweet like old finds that their followers have of just classic vintage recipes that really should have been a please God don't. <laughs> and a lot of them include gelatin. So you can actually look up the article yourself. Um, there's one recipe that is called a spring basket dessert. And it's, they lovingly call it a gelatinous dessert made from canned fruit juice with chunks of fruit inside. Mm. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so 
basically, if you see any of those things on your room table, I would probably recommend joining me at Popeye's for the Thanksgiving dinner. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not going to end well. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, speaking of things that was a really bad idea, besides some of the recipes that came out this week. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've heard. Well, actually, you have heard this because we had spoken about this before. And so Julia Roberts, you know, everyone's favorite pretty woman. Um, believe it or not, she was actually up for the Harriet Tubman role, according to the author, the screenwriter of the new Harriet Tubman movie that is out now starring Cynthia Rebo. I did hear that. Yes, I did. Yes. So this is actually something that I guess it was during an interview recently. And the screenwriter was talking about the evolution of the actual um, role itself um, and how it took many, many years for it to come to fruition in Hollywood. And so in a recent Q&A, the screenwriter Gregory Allen Howard opened with the 26-year journey of getting to the screen. And he said at one point, a Hollywood studio executive suggested that Julia Roberts could play the iconic African-American activist Harriet Tubman in a biopic. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so apparently, um, oh boy, did not like run out the room screaming and laughing, which is what I wanted to do. But when he said, um, dude, this is probably not the best idea. Yes. And I'm sure he didn't say, dude, that's just me saying what I would say to try to keep him laughing. The executive responded, it was so long ago no one is going to know the difference. Uh, except for 12% of the population. <laughs> well, I, I would hope that more percent of the population would know. <laughs> yeah, I like to see that, yes, maybe a little bit more than 12% of the population, but yeah. Oh, my God. From the start, 12% of the population is like, um, <laughs> mm, yeah, no, 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 no. First of all, can you imagine how that movie would have turned out? Seriously, Julia Roberts and Harriet Tubman. I mean, I have so many questions. Are they going to put her in blackface? Were they just going to have her tan? I mean, did they think of Julia Roberts because Charlotte Johansson wasn't available then? They were going to make Cleopatra, <laughs> like, you know, they made Cleopatra Elizabeth Taylor. And, well, they were able to shove that through. Because not everyone knew what Cleopatra really looked like, including, like, you know, history makers. And so. That. Oh, I just. First of all, kudos to the screenwriter. Because, again, in Hollywood, I have read stories, the, the leaps and bounds that screenwriters of color have to go through in order to get their um, film made. And that's one of the reasons why. It's so very important that we tell our stories. Yes. Because then you will not run into the possibility of Scarlett Johansson or Julia Roberts playing an icon of color. I mean, the idea of that, that's just so offensive. But you know what? It's not a new idea. In fact, there's even a rule, uh, word for it. It's called whitewashing rules. And whitewashing has existed almost as long as Hollywood has. Um, from anywhere from Laurence Olivier um, playing um, famously playing Othello in blackface, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. He even got an Oscar nomination for that. I mean, come on, what the heck? 
to Mickey Rooney playing that character at Breakfast at Tiffany's as well. So it's something that's always existed. Yeah, it's always been around, and it's just one of those things where, like, even didn't Sean Connery play another role during one of the Bond films? Oh, my God. So that is, like, my favorite Bond film, even though it's dramatic as hell. It's a movie called um, You Only Live Twice. Yes. <laughs> and You Only Live Twice is offensive from the very first start of the movie. I totally admit that. In fact, he very famously opens up a movie where he has a line where he's laying with um, an Asian secret agent um, who's posing as his girlfriend. And he has a conversation where he asks why Asian women taste differently than other women. And yes, it's offensive. I admit it's offensive. But it's like, and it gets worse from there. At one point, he actually undergoes a procedure where he supposedly looks Asian, but he doesn't. Not even close. It's ridiculous. Um, they actually, I mean, every stereotype you can imagine. At one point, he trains with ninjas. It was the 60s, y'all. That's all I have to say. Yeah, you just kind of <laughs> let a lot of things go through. But since we reached, like, you know, the 2000s, uh, 19, let's just start, you know, flipping these roles a little bit and... You know, let's see if we can make Harriet Tubman in like an Asian, or <laughs> let's make a Mexican. <laughs> I don't know, uh, Thor. Let's but, go completely off the top. Well, you know, they did make Thor a woman. Um, after an adaptation where Thor is going to be a woman for a while in the upcoming uh, movie Thor: Love and Thunder. Okay. So there's that. Um, his girlfriend Jane Foster will be taking over the role. But, you know, I thought it was really interesting to look up how prevalent the whitewashing still exists. And so IndieWire a couple of years ago put out a list of the 25 worst cases of Hollywood whitewashing since 2000. And they have everywhere from um, Anna Lee Tipton's character, um, Nora, that was in the movie. And in the novel that the movie is based on, um, Nora was an Ethiopian girl, which if you look at her, she clearly is not. Of course, Angelie Jolie, she was in A Mighty Heart, and she portrayed a woman that was Afro-Cuban. She's not even close. They didn't even bother to give girl a tan. Um, Anthony Hopkins was in a movie called The Human Sting, which is also based on a very famous novel by Philip Roth. Okay. And he was actually an African-American professor who passes at white. Hmm. So maybe you could get it, but no. Um, Ben Affleck's character in Argo um, was actually Hispanic in real life, and it's actually based on a real person. Um, In the movie (laughs) Exodus, Gods and Monsters, because I'm laughing about that, because Ridley Scott got it from everyone, because basically it was set, it was a biblical epic, it was set in the Middle East, and everyone he cast was white. Like, he didn't even try. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Um, Speed Racer, of course, the character originally was Japanese, and they turned into Midwest one played by Emil Hurst, oh, yeah, John Goodman, and Susan Sarandon. Okay. Um, Emma Stone very famously caught some slack, and rightfully so, for playing a character in the movie Aloha, which was also based on a book. And Allison Ng, who was stated as having a father of half Chinese, oh no, let me just mis- say it was not based on a book. But the character was supposed to be half Chinese and half Native Hawaiian and a mother of Swedish descent. 
And huh. apparently she just took after the mother. Okay. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal, famously in Prince of Persia, who didn't even look close. Yeah. Were there, like, even a lot of Persians in the movie? I don't think so. Not okay. one. <laughs> Jennifer Colony's character and A Beautiful Mind is actually based on a real person. And her, she was from El Salvador. Hmm. Um, and the movie 21, that's a very famous um, movie that was adapted from a book called Bringing Down the House. And it actually tells the true story of the MIT blackjack team who famously went to these casinos and were counting cards. Yes. The majority of the teens that were portrayed and actually this happened to were Asian and not everyone, no one was Asian in that movie. Not a one. They couldn't even bother to schedule one. Of course, they list Johnny Depp and the Lone Ranger. Um, Josh Harnett's role. Oh, my gosh. Justin Chatwin in Dragon Ball Evolution. And I know you don't know anything about Dragon Ball. Dragon Ball is based on this very famous anime series. Mm-hmm. And Japanese anime, he plays a character named Goku. Again, not Japanese. <laughs> it was so... In fact, the whitewashing in that movie was so bad. Um, they actually, it, there were so many complaints, they pulled it from theater early, which was really sad because it was supposed to be like a really great live action launch of this very famous cartoon and they didn't come close to doing it. Goodness. Um, there's also one that they list that I thought was rather interesting and you may not have heard of this story, but it's, um, from this, um, director, um, and he is this very famous, like, uber indie director. He usually makes low-budget films. Um, it was a movie that was released several years ago that was called Stuck. Okay. Um, and the movie itself is based on um, this hospital worker who struck a homeless man with her car. And the man was stuck in her car in a window for several days. It sounds insane. It is insane. It's actually well, yeah, a true I know the story. story. Yeah. Yeah. Being true. Um, I think it didn't occur in Texas. I believe so. And the yeah. man, the woman that she portrayed was African American. Yes. But it was actually, I mean, the woman that she portrayed was African American. Instead, she was played by Mina Savari in Cornwall's. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did you say in cornrows? Oh, yeah. He put cornrows on her. Wow. That was a <laughs> different taste of American pie. Yeah. Now, I know, again, student Gor- Stuart, Gor- Stuart Gordon, the man who made it, he's a very famous indie film director. Um, he's known for his low-budget horror movies. If you are a fan of the Reanimator series, he's done that. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, he's done that. So he's used to innovative casting, but seriously, really? <laughs> he at least mm-hmm. could have left the criminals out. And then, of course, the article also mentions the person that everyone likes to pick on, which is, um, of course, Scarlett Johansson, who, um, well, you can kind of take her pick of some of the roles that are kind of considered whitewashing. But in this case, they actually named the Ghost in the Shell which he actually played someone named Major Motoko Kunasagi. So, of course, that translates into Scarlett yeah. Johansson. Yeah, they rolled with that one. They couldn't get Lucy Liu for that one. <laughs> Lucy Liu is 
was the go-to Asian person that they go to for uh, Michelle Yeoh or whatever? Oh God, Michelle Yeoh would have been great for that. Yeah, but, but no. at the same time, no, yeah. no, no, it was Scarlett Johansson. So, and the universe being full of bad ideas, much like cranberries and mayonnaise, <laughs> we are very glad that they did not come out with Julia Roberts versus um, Julia Roberts, rather portraying. Harriet Tubman, because that would have been Shouts really out. awful. I'm thinking by the time that uh, I, I posted this on social media, I'm thinking like when this came to light, someone went to Julia Roberts to ask her. And I'm <laughs> thinking Julia imagine? Roberts is like, by the time this ended, she's like, okay, just just keep my name out your mouth. <laughs> Julia's, I want nothing to do with this. Julia's probably like, look, my name is Bennett and I'm not in this. Exactly. <laughs> And you know when it came out, it was like, "Damn it! I was just minding my business, eating my cereal, so my breath is out." Yeah, she was having her eat, pray, love moment, and all of a sudden, <laughs> asking her question, she's like, "Whoever this uh, person who brought this, like, you know, to our attention, can we just tell them to go away? We 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 want this to like go far, oh, oh, far, far away. away. <laughs> yeah, that would really help because you know, there's also you know because." All of, you know, all Latino actors, you know, who could play, like, you know, such prominent roles, they're, like, you know, subjugated to, like, you know, drug kingpin or... Yeah, that's a good know, point. There's just roles. so many stereotypical roles out there. And then you're going to make Julia Roberts Harry Tubman. You know, <laughs> as opposed to brothers, like, you know, who are showing up trying to get, like, you know, distinguished acting roles in their... Asked to be, you know, characters in Planet of the Apes. Yeah. <laughs> so we will not go into that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one thing that was a very good idea that's launched since we've had the podcast is Disney Plus. And if you're not familiar with it, Disney Plus is the new streaming service that brings together several of Disney's historic brands, including um, National Geographic, Star Wars, Marvels, and Pixar. Um, and when Disney Plus originally launched, it was not without a lot of issues. In fact, there has been some people who have complained that already Disney has been hacked, depending on how you sign up for Disney Plus, um, to individuals who experience, and I experienced this as well, the day that it launched it crashing. But for a lot of people, once they got their stuff off the ground, it has been amazing. And they have everything from Almost all of the movies in the Disney vault. I'm talking like the Shaggy DA, DA rather, and movies that you have not seen in like decades um, through some very new um, hits. So for me, I actually tried um, Disney Plus because I wanted to see The Mandalorian. And if you're not familiar with it, it's a new spinoff series based on the Star Wars series that covers the time after the Empire fell. So that would be after, um, what's it, the Empire? No, no, Return of the Jedi. Yes. So it covers a period of time after Return of the Jedi when there is no ruling Empire. And so everything is kind of like a lawless um, society. Yeah. yeah, so it's a kind of a dystopian society, even more so than a lot of the Star Wars saga actually covered. Um I actually, I, I openly confess, I signed up for Disney Plus for one reason and one reason only. What was that? Werner Herzog. <laughs> 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 
They had me in Werner Herzog. And if you don't know who Werner Herzog is. Here we go. <laughs> here we go again. Oh, okay, I'm going to be. I'm going to be short in my love of Herzog. Abusive. <laughs> she abuses this love of Werner Herzog. No, he is a very famous German film director, screenwriter. He acts. He's directed opera. He's written books. He's basically this German curmudgeon who makes these incredible documentaries and movies. Um, anyone who wants to know him, I would recommend watching a documentary called My Best Fiend. And it covers the early part of Herzog's career when he was actually considered synonymous with the actor Klaus Kinski. They made a lot of famous movies together, including Fitzcarraldo um, and also um, Nofratu. Um During this time, they had a serious love-hate relationship. And when I say serious love-hate, I'm not even kidding. Like, at one point, he actually threatened Klaus Kinski with a gun <laughs> to finish the movie. <laughs> and the story is told and just hilarious and loving detail in this documentary about their time together. And even though it's kind of hard to watch it in hindsight, because apparently Klaus Kinski was just the worst. Like he was abusive to his daughter and he's just been accused of doing really horrible things. But that said, was this documentary on Disney plus? No, the documentary is not on Disney+, Plus, but okay. you can actually find it. Um, it's streaming on certain things. I think it's actually part of the Criterion Collection. So Fandor actually streaming it. It's one of their um, selections under Herzog. But I saw Mind Best Fiend years ago. I was so obsessed with this documentary. I think I watched it, what, like four times <laughs> in a month? I was, like, telling you about it. I was telling my family about it. I'm like, Oh my God, you have to see this. This is insane. This is real. Mm -hmm. And then I'm the kind of person that if I love a director, I watch everything they do. So then I just got obsessed with him. And the thing about Herzog, he's just one of those people who just doesn't give a hell. Um, Okay, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> and he's like brutally honest. He doesn't romanticize nature or anything. In fact, he makes this really funny, um, great documentary called Grizzly Man, which he was nominated for an Academy Award. And you know how most nature documentaries is just kind of like so pays such relevance to nature and he loves nature. No, Herzog has no, he has no chill about nature. <laughs> and he thinks the subject of Grizzly Man, which is this guy who lives around grizzly bears okay. and eventually kills him. He thinks he's nuts and he doesn't really care if you know he hates nature. He thinks it's nuts. <laughs> he's just the best. In fact, I just recommend any of Herzog. He is just amazing. He even did this um, recording one time of called the book Go to Fuck to Sleep, where he actually recited it one time for someone. <laughs> it is the best. It's on YouTube. I love it. Sometimes when I need to laugh, I listen to it. But anyway, Herzog is in the new show, The Mandalorian, right? And when I saw that in the preview, I'm like, okay, take my money. <laughs> I am watching this, but The Mandalorian, it's such a good series, even without Herzog. I have been that? obsessed with it. I mean, it's great directing, great acting. It it feels like you're watching a mini Star Wars movie with every episode. In fact, the second episode, there's hardly any dialogue in it. 
but it's so riveting, you can't take your eyes off of it. And of course, the third reason why you should watch it, other than Herzog and just how greatly mean it is. Here we go. Oh, stop. <laughs> There's a character. Oh my god. There's a baby Yoda in the show. <laughs> a baby Yoda. It is so cute. And so for the last week and a half, I've been telling Big Daddy about, oh my God, I want a Yoda. Can we have a baby Yoda? <laughs> You're like, Jennifer, you know that's not real. Yes, I know it's not real. <laughs> that's not the point. Which also <laughs> began the discussion of what exactly is a Yoda or Yoda? And you know what? That's interesting because George Lucas, when he did the original films, mm-hmm. he was very intentional in not explaining Yoda. So we don't know what kind of character Yoda is. We don't know what kind of species he, he was. We didn't know if he was the only one. Apparently he's not. There's a baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. Um, Not to give too much away, but all I can say is Yoda, at the time we met him in the original Star Wars um, trilogy, was almost nine over 900 years old, I think. And so mm. this entity that looks like Yoda, that... Obviously, that's not his name. They've never given him a name, but people online have called him Baby Yoda. Um, Baby Yoda is 50 years old, but he's still a toddler. And it's so cute. The the way that they've actually shown his character, like he's toddling around. He has this flying crib that goes with him. Oh, my God. It is so amazing. And I am not alone. There have been people who have been tweeting their love of Baby Yoda online and just talking about it to the point where now I'm just totally obsessed with this show. And yesterday, for example, I was taking the train home and we were in a crowded train and I was watching the third episode of The Mandalorian and I was trying so hard to hold it together because it was so action-packed. And what happens to the Baby Yoda? And I was like, oh, my God, he should go back after it. And then the person who was sitting in the seat next to me was looking at me like I was a crazy person. I'm like, no, nah, it's Baby Yoda. And the person behind me is like, yeah, I know. I feel your pain. <laughs> I get it. Good grief. <laughs> my whole thing is Big Daddy wants nothing to do with Baby Yoda. That's not true. <laughs> I'm sure he's an interesting you character. <laughs> You're lying. I have yet to partake of the <laughs> Mandalorian uh, just because of time constraints, but I am intrigued by the social constructs of something called a Baby Yoda, but also like, you know, the program itself. But my wife has been very forthcoming about how much she has enjoyed the exploits of you know, this thing who I look at for the person. I have literally only seen a picture of uh, said character. And to me, just looks like, you know, a baby E.T. Who's green. So, it, I mean, with ears, I guess, too. But I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. Baby Yoda. Yeah, he's adorable. Mm-hmm. While my wife is like, oh, my God, how could you not love baby Yoda? He's just so damn cute and so sympathetic. He just has these big welly eyes. I'm like, and the ears are flat. 
Oh, God, the ears are flat. He's so cute. The ears are flat. <laughs> He's like baby Dumbo. And the funny thing is, you know I'm not like a, oh my gosh, kind of gushy person, but I am just mm-hmm. like melting over baby Yoda. I am. <laughs> As both cats who are flanking her at this moment <laughs> are flapping their ears, looking at her with the big ass like... They're looking at us like, really? Really, you have us that. and you want the baby Yoda? <laughs> mm, we could be your baby Yoda if you want us to be. But no, the, uh, Disney Plus has basically taken over the world, and we are subject to it until a new media comes out to overtake it. So, Man, can we get like a like a, a Warner Brothers Plus? So I can give me some Bugs Bunny movies to watch? Actually, Warner Brothers did have a streaming um, thing for a while. Okay. Um, and it showed a lot of the Warner Cl- Brothers classic movies. We actually, when it first launched, um, was on a free trial, but a lot of it wasn't really all that appealing. But you're right. They should, probably should have done that. But to be honest, a lot of the Bugs Bunny stuff streams right now on Boomerang, um, which is tied to Cartoon Network. And um, it's their streaming service they have. I think it's called Boomerang Plus, but that's okay. been around for a while. The other thing that was kind of intriguing to me about when they first came out with Disney Plus is some of the, uh, as you would say, animation, some of the movies, uh, some of the original programming, I guess, uh, also reveal the fact that uh, some of these, uh, I guess you would say, media um, from way back did involve problematic characters or problematic scenes and, I guess you would say, adult themes. You know, that is a very good plus um, point because a lot of people have been talking about that because what they did is Disney opened up their, um, what they known as the Disney vault. So these are a lot of their classic movies. And think about it. Disney's been around since the early part of the 20th century. So if you think Mm -hmm. about movies that have been made since the 30s on, um, starting with Steamboat Willie, um, their animated short starring um, Mickey Mouse. There has been tons of shows and movies and things that unfortunately are just hella racist. There's no other way to put it. Well, the nicest way to say is that, you know, time uh, did not reflect as well upon them from there till now. Yeah, and so the way that they decided to um, speak about that is they called it outdated cultural depictions. Yeah. So basically what it is is that, um, like, for example, the cat, um, the Siamese cat and Lady and the Tramp, um, to the crows that and Dumbo that are clearly made to stereotype African-Americans. Um, they had to put that out there because some people, let's face it, some people may not be as aware that Disney have some things in their vault that are really kind of disturbing by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting that you bring that up because one of the movies that they are not releasing is Song of the South. And that is the old movie that they put out based on the Harold, um, the Uncle Ramus um and Br'er Rabbit cartoons. And um, for many people, Song of the South, just the whole portrayal of these former slaves or, and these slaves just being happy as hell to be on this plantation um, 
it is rather disturbing. And so they have decided not to release that. But for movies like Dumbo and um, the Aristocats, Aristocrats rather, and just a lot of the other um, movies, a lot of people are tweeting and posting on Central Media how they were just shocked that they exist. And I think maybe it's because we being old, we kind of known about them. Right. But um, but yeah, um, they're happy to own up to their past. And lucky for them, they're actually acknowledging it. And to be fair, they're not the only company um, that have did that. Um, so, for example, Warner Brothers, you mentioned before with Warner Brothers and Bugs Bunny, several years ago, they actually put out a collection of their old film on their old animated shorts. And when they did so, they actually had an introduction that were hosted um, and commented on by Whoopi Goldberg. And they said, the cartoons that you're about to see are products of their time. They may depict some of the um, ethnic and racial prejudices that were common in American society. These depictions were wrong then and they're wrong today. And while the following does not represent the Warner Brothers view on today's society, the cartoon is being presented as they were originally created because to do so otherwise would to claim that these prejudices um, had never existed. So on one hand, yeah, it is kind of sad that they are in these cartoon depictions. And even growing up, I don't know about you, but the first time I saw Dumbo and seeing the crows and I was like, damn, is that like a slam on us? You know, you couldn't help but take that away as a child. But at least they're owning up to it and acknowledging that. So that's kind of a, you know, kudos to them because they could have just ran away from it or not posted those films or things like that. And of course, there are a lot of people who are kind of poo-pooing the disclaimer, but making sure that every child who watches Disney Plus feels represented and okay, and you can turn that into a learning moment and talk about that and just face your past you know, that's kind of admirable. So I have to give them credit for that. Um, does it change the fact that the crows were in the movie? No. No. <laughs> but at least it's a start. One other thing to point out is if you're a fan of Disney+, Plus, particularly the Marvel genre, just as a side note, <laughs> you're looking at me cross-eyed now because of what I did. They go back a long ways to put not just the current Marvel movies, but some of the most beloved animated series tied to the Marvel characters mm -hmm. um, that they put out over the decades. So, for example, when I went to Disney Plus, when we first got it, <laughs> you were downstairs doing something. I think you were doing something in the laundry room and you heard me like scream. <laughs> so yeah. you come running upstairs thinking, oh, my God, is there something wrong? And I'm like, no, no, they put. <laughs> Dude, they have the X-Men, the animated series from the 90s. <laughs> And you looked at me like, and? And? <laughs> I was like, but it's the X-Men from the 90s. The best representation of the Phoenix saga ever, even better than the two movies they put out. And you said? What? <laughs> and after trying to convince you why that and the Spider-Man and his amazing friends was really important series and they should put it out, um, then you walked away. <laughs> so... It was just that simple. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's great. Mm. Just supposed to like, I guess maybe it was because I'm older and I wasn't originally into the uh, 
original. Let's just say you're just not a nerd like I am, okay? (laughs) So if you're a nerd like I am, really into comic books, check out their Marvel selection. It is pretty badass. Um, They have some really great um, gems that it's hard to find, including the X-Men, the animated series, and they have the entire bunch. Um, Let me also just say as a side note, there are some times that apparently I can't remember what I put on the day before, but this morning I binge watched several episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yes, she did. And it's sad. I haven't seen this show in almost 40 years and I still remember the theme song because I was singing along with it. (laughs) And that's all I got to say about that. (laughs) I don't know where to go with that after that. There's really not much you can do. So finally, we wanted to close out for one other thing that was hidden around in the news today that I thought was rather interesting. And this is um, another article from News Insider where they were talking about the 15 most hated brands in the fast food industry. The 15 deep, (laughs) deep, deep disdain for these chains and or restaurants yes so what they did is they asked about three thousand fast food fans what type of food they what chains they refused to eat were they high when they were (laughs) surveyed for this you know oddly no well okay they didn't say they're high that doesn't mean they weren't (laughs) but they actually came up with some interesting choices so just curious really quickly what what do you think is on the list what do I think is on the list? Yes. Oh, goodness. There's so many horrible, horrible selections. I mean, I would think the most popular, uh, at least the crappiest one, was probably like McDonald's or something. Actually, it's interesting you said that because McDonald's actually rated pretty high. There was one fast food chain that everyone loved, no matter who they asked, and that was In N Out. So uh... they basically asked, What fast food chain do you refuse to eat from? In-and-out refusal ratio was zero, as not a person responded to a poll said they refused to eat at the chain. Now, other major chains, such as McDonald's and Starbucks, had a relatively low refusal rate of under 10%. So, these are fast food chains that fans say that they will refuse to eat at with refusal rates of 10% or higher. So, number 15 was Subway. Okay. Number 12. Jared um, ran them off. Yes, there's a multi-group tie, so that number 12, Chick-fil-A, was tied with Bojangles. Wait a minute, did Popeyes get a hold of this? <laughs> I don't know, Popeyes was a part of this. Uh-huh. Qdoba was also tied for 12. I haven't hit that in a while. Yeah, I didn't even know Qdoba was still a thing. Yeah. Burger King is actually on the list at number 10. Probably because they're customer service. And they are tied with KFC. Women do Popeyes found about <laughs> Popeyes wrote this. I am not sure that they're maybe. shading every chicken place out here. So at number seven is Panda Express. Panda Express. They are tied with Chipotle. Salt. <laughs> yeah. That and you know the salmonella probably chase some people off. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give them that. <laughs> That's kind of a bummer. Also tied for seventh place, Jimmy John's. Jimmy John's? Which is not surprising to you because you hate Jimmy John's. I don't have okay. My beef isn't so much with Jimmy John's because of, I mean they they have pretty decent people who work there, 
And I'm sure that, you know, people like getting their sandwiches, but I don't know why, like I go in there, I can't get a good hot sandwich with like a good roast beef or something. I don't know. There's just something about going in that place. I never get good, solid, warm food from them. Hmm. Well, at number six is Carl Jr. Wait a minute. Didn't we have this conversation before? We'll get to it when we get to the number yes, one. Yes, yeah. exactly. So Carl Jr. is number six. Number four is Arby's. So we know that at least John Stewart uh, yes. was on the list. John Stewart must have <laughs> wrote this. Okay, so. And Jack in the Box at number four, which is, I love Jack in the Box. You can get anything at Jack in the Box. Yeah, but it does not mean that you, you can get anything need good. to get everything at Jack in the Box. <laughs> Look, I like the fact you can get your burgers and your taco in the same place. Now, whether or not they're good burgers and tacos is another thing entirely. Do they, like, you go to Jack and Box, you can get some, like, little funky pancakes or something at the right time? Yeah. <laughs> it's Jack in a Box. You can get everything at Jack in a Box. You walk in and be like, <laughs> yeah, I would like some lamb-flavored pork chops. Hold on. There's a guy in the back that can make them for you. Okay, so number three is Papa John's. And then, oh, did, did, oh, wait a minute. I shouldn't talk about my alumnus. Never mind. No, you can talk about him. Clearly, it might be because the fact that pizza, I personally don't like Papa John's pizza. I know you're a fan. Biggity pizza. Yes, biggity pizza. But I like the, uh, I like the garlic butter. Which I'm like, dude, if you like the garlic butter so much, I can make garlic butter. It's not hard. Yeah, but can you make Papa John's racist butter? <laughs> no. Okay. And then tied for number one is Little Caesars Little and Caesars. Hardee's. Which is crazy because Hardee's is Carl Jr. They are the exact same. It's a regional thing. So either you are in a place that has a Hardee's or a Carl's, but it's the exact same menu. And Carl's Jr. ring in is number six. It's the most hated fast food chain. And Hardee's, which is the same thing, is number one. Maybe they like Carl just a <laughs> little bit more. Just a little bit. I don't get it. The food might be, you know, like might be a little hard on the stomach. <laughs> But maybe a little, Carl might be a little nicer than her, <laughs> even though it's the exact same thing. They same box, <laughs> different result. You know, maybe you might be onto something about them being high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The stoner variant. But we were wondering why, like, and nothing against them because, you know, I, I do love my, you know, my rectal rockets, but oh. just the fact that the great. Menagerie that is the White Castles. The White Castle versus <laughs> the Crystals. Why that didn't appear on the list at any point. I don't know, but that is insane. But yeah. So apparently fast food fans do not like Hardee's. <laughs> I'm also amused by the fact that because everyone loved In N Out Burger. I'll say this like real quick and wrap up, but I was like they just opened a In N Out Burger in Texas and I think it was in Katy, Texas, and literally the line was literally down the street and around, like, down the street. Which is odd, because they have Whataburger. Yeah. Whataburger, I mean, Whataburger doesn't compare to In-N-Out Burger, but it's still good. Yes. So, on that note, we now know we avoid Hardee's <laughs> and the Biggity Pizza that is in Papa John's. And let me just say the, the pizza is not Biggity, it's just... Our former alumni, who the chain is named for, he has issues. And that's all we're going to say about that. Um, so that said, that wraps up 
the What's Eating Us segment of the Gourmet Goober. We're going to take a quick bait. Bait. <laughs> take a quick break. <laughs> and then close out our podcast as we do every um, podcast by sharing with you the best thing we ate this week. Quick bake. And you're listening to the Gourmet Goober. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we're the hosts of A Dark Cup of History Tea, a spin-off series to our regular podcast, A Nice Cup of History Tea, where we dive headfirst into the weird and paranormal aspects of the world we all live in. If you want to know your woman in red from your woman in white, or precautions to take against demonic dolls, and just where to go to find Black Shuck on a moonlit night, why not give us a listen? Together we talk about the dark, creepy, and downright terrifying parts of our history and folklore, as well as what you should do if you ever encounter any of them. Interested? Come and find us in Buzzsprout, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. So turn on the lights, grab a blanket and some rock salt, and, and let's, let's get, get dark. dark. Hey everyone, this is JJ Outlaw. And this is T. Outlaw. And I'm here um, with the Gourmet Goober podcast, and we are closing out this segment. Um, or, <laughs> sorry. What, what was the segment again? We are closing out the podcast with the segment we call The Best Thing We Ate This Week. This is something we do every podcast where we share the out-of-the-way places, the places you may have heard about, the places that you may have always wanted to try, but just some of the things that have just got us going culinary-wise for the week that we wanted to share. So, as always, I start with Big Daddy. <laughs> and it's back to me. It again. always starts with you. I know. Why are you acting like it's such a shock for you? Because it's always a shock for me. <laughs> I don't. Oh, no. Uh, the best thing I had this week, or within the last three weeks, I would say. <clears throat> to the best of my knowledge, I mean, of course, the Goober made a couple of really nice dishes. And I'm sure we uh, went to different places, uh, or I went to different places that had interesting food. Actually, last this past week, um, during our little jaunt tour, Second City I actually had my first uh, uh, foray into, is it poke? Yes, it's poke. He had his first poke bowl. And survived. <laughs> which was I'm actually cool. pretty impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of thrown too because I wasn't sure if I could survive the preparation of poke. It was different for me, but the best thing I could think of this week actually was uh once again an accident um in venturing to work i had the chance to stop for a minute and uh try to get a quick lunch at a small restaurant uh in the loop on dearborn i believe they call it petrino's and I went there just to get a quick sandwich, uh, like a chicken club. Originally, they had something called an Urkupsnit, which is the name of a famous uh, writer in the city and author. But since I had a whole bunch of avocados, I decided to dip on that. But I went and got a little bit of chicken parmesan for lunch, which was excellent. And... Weirdly enough, usually the person, um, usually me being the person who doesn't really often 
get the chance to try something different other than like a random potato or something. Um, the Pecorino's pastas are oh, absolutely excellent. I have had their pastas before. I used to. Isn't that the one off of Dearborn that's near where I used to work? Yeah, it's near all the different uh, theaters. Yeah, I've been there before. Their pastas are amazing. I yes. used to go there for lunch. So, yeah, lucky you. So, yes, this was the first time I've had a chance to sample any of their cuisine, which involved pastas, and I will be willing to vouch so heavily for the quantity and quality of their pastas. Um, it was excellent, and it was very fresh, and it was obviously the best thing I had this week. Oh, wow. Well, I don't know if I can... You know what? I can't top that, although I have to say... Caterinos, and then I will put the um, location information like I always do um, in the show notes so you guys can kind of check it out. But that is a really great place. I've gone there once or twice because it's near where I used to work um, at a school down there, and it is amazing. So, yeah, lucky you. So, for me, I'm going to cheat a little bit because I actually had two very different things that were really great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love them. Okay. So I'm going to have, like, I, I was trying to decide, like, is, like, one an honorable mission, and then one's, like, the best thing I ate? Are they both best? Are they, like, co-winners? I mean, it's, like, hard. I keep going back and forth. So I'm just going to split my decision and just say winner A and winner B. <laughs> so the first best thing that I ate this week is in a restaurant um, that is – in downtown um it's in what's known as block 37 and block 37 is like this little metro plus that's in chicago it's actually near the theater district some of you may know it because like the disney store and uh, you know zara's and i think the city's only magnolia bakery is all located in the little spot there's this really great um a place called Latin City that's there as well. So you can get some um, Latin dishes that are really, really great from like Latin American dishes. But they also have on the floor, um, on the basement floor rather, of the location by the Blue Line, um, there's this place called Simply Thalia. Um, I think it's pronounced Thalia, but it's basically a Japanese slash Pan-Asian restaurant. And they're one of the few places in Chicago that you can get what's known as the sushi donut. The sushi donut? Yes. And it's just as it sounds. So it's a sushi roll that's made in a, in a giant donut. So you'll usually have like a seaweed base topped with um, sticky rice. Um, usually it's filled with certain things, just like a donut would be filled with like filling. Mm. Well, in this case, the donut was filled with um, unagi sauce and um, kama sauce and wasabi mayo. So I had one that was called the Blue Line. So it's topped with spicy tuna, ocean blue mayo, unagi sauce. It's really, really tasty. In fact, if you follow me on Instagram at Gourmet Goober, I actually took a picture because I was so impressed. <laughs> I showed it so you can kind of see the deliciousness for yourself. And it is quite substantial. It doesn't sound like it's a single donut they give you. 
And you're thinking, oh, well, how that's going to fill you up. But really, it's pretty filling. Um, so I had that plus some of their dumplings. But this blue line um, donut I got on recommendation from my server, and he was amazing. So shout out to him. And <laughs> um, just highly recommend it. So that's like my first choice. My second choice was a couple weeks ago, I was in Chicago way late. I had like what turned out to be this 12 hour day of working. <laughs> I got there early in the morning I had a presentation and then I had to like write a grant and then work on this project that we're doing. And then I had to stay for a board meeting. And the next thing I know it's in the Chicago area to nine o'clock and I had to turn right around and be back at work the next day. So the problem with the trains in and out, cause I took the train in basically is the trains from Northwest Indiana into Chicago doesn't run very often. So the board meeting, okay, the train leaving left at 710, right? The board meeting ended at 713. I was like, damn, I was so close. <laughs> and then I had to hang out in Chicago to like nine for the next train. So I decided to go get dinner. And I found my way to this place called Fisk and Company. And Fisk and Company, and they are known for Belgian mussels and frites. So frites is kind of like Belgian fries, of course. Mm -hmm. And I went there again. I was lucky enough to speak with this gentleman who kind of walked me through because I've never really had mussels in a restaurant before. And I wound up getting their roasted garlic aioli frites. And then, oh, no, no, no. Actually, let me take that step back. I got their truffle parmesan frites. And then I had roasted garlic aioli of sauce to dip it in along with curry ketchup and sriracha aioli. And then for the mussel side, he recommended um, the coconut curry mussels, which is mussels that's prepared in the sauce that has lemongrass, ginger, Thai chili, mango, cilantro, and um, this lime leaf. And let me tell you, you guys, oh my God, if no one was looking, I would have licked the bowl. It was that good. <laughs> I'm, again, wow. I got it the face of the recommendation of the server. He was amazing. Mm -hmm. um, I've never, I mean, I've had mussels before, but I've never had it with a curry before. Like that sounded a little unusual, but he said, trust me, you will love it. Was it, it spicy? Um, It was a little spicy with the, um, with, you know, the touch of ginger and the Thai chili but not in a way that was overwhelming. Um, it was just a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was perfect. And the frites, oh my God, the frites. If you eat nothing else there, come for the frites. Even if you don't eat seafood, the frites were absolutely amazing. Cannot say enough great things about that. Um, and then to top it off, I got this non-alcoholic cocktail that they serve. Now you're drinking cocktails? <laughs> Somebody had them a nice little social outing. <laughs> um, the non-alcoholic cocktail that I got, um, it's called the City Market. And it has raspberry and lemon and mint and toco, topo chico. And it was really, really, really great. Um, so it was a bit pricey, maybe more so than I probably should have spent on 
a weekday meal, but you know, it was a long day and it was exhausting and I figured I deserved it. Mm -hmm. So, um, for an average meal, and especially if you like sushi, something that's not too pricey, but it's delicious and it'll hit the spot, hit out simply for Thalia. But if you are in to spend a little bit more and you are feeling adventurous and you love seafood and mussels, you cannot go wrong with Fisk and Company. And both of them are my recommendations for the best thing I ate this week. Nice. So you have done it. You've listened to another episode of the Gourmet Goober podcast. And survived. Yes. We want to thank everyone for listening in. Again, you can catch me on Twitter at JJ Outlaw, on Instagram at Gourmet Goober. You can also go to thegourmetgoober.com. Check us out on Facebook at the Gourmet Goober blog and send us a line. Um, we'd love that at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. And where can they catch you? They can find me once again on Twitter at T Outlaw and on Instagram at T Outlaw, Josie Wells. All right. So on behalf of Big Daddy, I want to thank you for listening in. And until next time, happy eating. Happy eating.